0: This this, this
1: show is brought to you by Safety FM. Hi listeners, this is Brent Sutton. Welcome to the 74th episode of the Practice of Learning Teams podcast show. On today's show, I'm joined by Gladys McCarthy and Brent Robertson as we reflect over the last two years of our journey of learning teams and since the book and podcast show was published. I would like to thank you, the listeners, for being part of our journey with us and, as some have said to me on numerous occasions, will the madness ever end? Well, great to get together, everyone. And would you believe it, we've got to the two year mark, both with the book, sorry, books, and also with the podcast show. And just to share, we currently have just over 11,000 listeners to the show. Yeah, 11,000. And over 2,000 followers on LinkedIn. And we're averaging about uh, just more than 100,000 downloads per annum. And we are now in 41 countries. Fantastic.
2: And the book's in two languages. The
1: book's in two languages. The book is both in uh, English and in Portuguese.
2: Brent bought me a copy of the the Portuguese edition across. And um, I'm no wiser, but did feel the um, need to learn another language
1: yeah it's crazy it's, it's, it's crazy to think when it's that it was in July 2019 uh, pre-pandemic that we sat down with uh, Todd at the uh, little restaurant uh, in Auckland and talked about writing the book and then we are all set for the uh, March 2020 launch, before something called COVID-19 came along, mm. and that's upended everything until we did the final publishing date in uh, in August. And uh, I have to say, it's been a bit of a wild ride.
0: Oh, fa- quite,
2: a- it, quite amazing. It'd be fair to say it's getting wilder, Brent. I mean, you know, I don't know if you knew New Zealanders, but Brent was over in um, Australia last week. And he didn't have to go home via Christmas Island with something called a 501. We don't know what these 501 things are that he kept on talking about every day, but I looked it up and I found Levi Strauss jeans, but you know, not that we're promoting them or they're a sponsor of the show. Um, And we had a really good week here. um, And then we went, well, we started off in Melbourne, didn't we, Brent? And then um, headed up to Brisbane where we were well looked after by. Josh Bryant and Stephen Harvey. Yep.
1: And Tony McConaughey.
2: Yep. And the whole team up there. And, you know, people still getting the book and we're handing, we did a book club, which is very much a, um, a Queensland book club. I'm thinking, Brent, I've not been to a book club quite like that before.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, if the book had been about um, beer, wine, and spirits, it probably would have been a natural book club. But yes, that's okay. There was uh, lots of well put it this way, goodness. No one no one was harmed through dehydration. Good stuff.
2: So I think uh, you know, and I think that sort of caps the the two years and that we've started from the book being launched and just the just the interest that's gained over that two years. And the discussions we're having last week sort of cemented that for me, then that. All the people we went to speak to had copies of it. Had were using it. It had become their training base, and now they were looking towards the coaching and mentoring part of the journey. All on different parts of the journey, weren't they, Brent?
1: Yeah, very, very much so. And and look, it was even great. A number of people brought their um the first book along to get signed, which was really nice. And and a couple of them I could see they were really heavily used, nicely dog tagged and. So it was that was that was great that people are applying it.
2: I, I just reminded me how bad my handwriting is. As you're trying to uh, write something nice and then sign it, no two signatures <laughs> were the same. I don't think.
1: No, no, that's probably not a bad idea because otherwise, <laughs> someone would be trying to enter your bank accounts right now. Yes, it's possibly reflective
0: of your personality, Brent, um Brent Robinson, as well. Oh, she's, all, she's always having the same.
2: She's always having a go, this, uh, this Glennis.
0: <laughs> well, then we've got that tyranny of distance. I feel braver.
1: <laughs> but, you know, what, what was interesting, um, I, I think, for me, is just the sheer number of people that have been giving learning teams a go. And, you know, I, I have to say that that since, you know, Todd published his original work in 2016, the book, you know, Applied Learning, uh, the Applied Approach sorry, to Operational Learning, um, the word learning team has now become very much a, a common a language that's now being used, whether it's people on a hop journey, whether it's people on a safety differently journey or people on a uh, the new view journey. And I think I was, I was commenting last week that, you know, when something becomes popular, when people try and badge it as their own, Uh, Or I I love the one where they state that learning teams are great and then they use the word but. Hmm. And, of course, they then say, well, this is, you know, learning teams are great, but blah, 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 blah. So it's great that it's getting that level of um, recognition.
2: And
0: So do you think it's become mainstream yet? No. And what will it take to make it into the mainstream?
1: Well, I I think we're definitely seeing a difference now between how learning teams was being used predominantly for those organisations that were going through the hot transformation to where learning teams are being used by organisations wanting to evolve their safety without necessarily committing to those hot principles. Or just people wanting to go more on a learning journey rather than on a safety differently or a new view journey?
2: Yeah, I think it, what what I'm seeing is that people find learning teams a way to engage and, um, and really increase participation with frontline teams or frontline workers or whatever we would like to call the people that are really doing the work. And there's not a big overhead to get there. So they can use it, um, they can abuse it, and they, they see it as a great way of facilitating something different.
0: And look, and it makes sense, doesn't it? You think about, you know, kind of post-COVID, you know, most of the people that I work with are absolutely flat out. Um, so the thought of trying to bring in a whole new system or a paradigm into our working environment What we really have to do is really just get a much greater understanding of what are some of the constraints and aids and barriers where people are doing the work. Um, And so, you know, Learning Teams provides you a vehicle without having to take on board a whole lot of things that sort of potentially uh, sit around a kind of a big paradigm shift. It just means that you can do things in a more expedient way. And I think that there's a benefit for people to do that.
1: And, you know, and. And when I think about learning teams, in my few years, I've really thought about the power that storytelling can have and how that storytelling can lead to learning. And then how those learnings can actually lead to improvements. Remembering that you know what workers learn and what the organization learn is actually quite different. So I'm very much seeing now that that uh workers, particularly when they look at everyday work, when learning becomes very deliberate. You can actually see that self improvement happening within that work group, that work team, not from the point of view, the organization needs to do its own learning. And and I came up with this phrase out of the other week as part of a story that I think will be published shortly, and it's called Humans connect better to stories, they don't connect to numbers.
0: Yeah, I think if you work in, in adult education, you know that the the most um, the bit most beneficial beneficial training that you can participate in um, as a facilitator is when there is a, um, a mutual understanding from both sides. So there, you know, it's around um, co-construction. But that what you're able to do is weave the, the pertinent moments into things that really resonate with people, and that's typically through stories. You know, through something that's authentic that other people can grab hold of and see themselves in. So doesn't surprise me that you know a vehicle like learning teams is all about providing some context isn't it but also it's about providing ownership for people
1: yeah and I, th- I think it's deeper because um, if if you can't identify with the people it's affecting that's what a learning team does is identifies the people then you won't identify with it at all so I've seen more and more that when leaders sit in on the learning teams, they can identify with the people that are affected, either both, both in a positive or a negative way, in the learning team, and I think that's what makes it compelling for leaders. They see not just the learning. I think the learning's one thing, but I think they see how it connects people, and how those light bulbs sort of come on, and how people just become energised and engaged. And, and once again, I've never heard anyone say. Oh, I might not
2: be doing a learning team again. No, I mean, and we've seen that numerous times, haven't we?
1: Yeah.
2: It, that you know, if you talk about it as an investigation, <laughs> it just sets a whole different connotation. And I think what I love about where we've come from is that we're seeing it not just used in investigations; we're seeing it um, used in just general improvements within the organisation and the organisation learning, but also that workforce learning as well and i just love the participation that we're seeing and and now that we've um co-developed some of those frameworks like the a3 storyboard um the four d's and and brought that in to the process you know the the discussions we're having are much much deeper with our clients now
1: so, so one of the things we've been thinking about, Glynis, is that if it's the workers that face the risk, and when we were with the uh, Brisbane group, we were exploring with them this notion about the gap between the residual risk, the stuff that's left over that the organisation believes it's done its with, and, and that gap from there to workers done, if the workers who face that risk and that gap, then why can't workers lead that storytelling? And why can't workers lead that learning opportunity? Because how much is actually done by the organization to understand that gap? Because what I always keep seeing is organizations are trying to understand what they've put in place. They're not trying to better understand what is left over until it goes wrong.
0: And, and I think part of it is that you know, organizations sit in the space of having to think about how risk is going to be managed. So that forces them into that space about thinking about what controls can be put in place. Then they are also in that position where you know, somebody else goes out and does the work. And if the work is successful, it doesn't naturally lend you back to think about what have we put in place. So, the organization, I think, is always on the back foot in this in, in this regard, and it's not helped by our regulatory framework because our regulatory framework is really asking us to think about how risk is being articulated and what are we doing around those controls and about the efficacy of those controls. So it sort of it shapes how I think health and safety is often viewed in a workplace. And don't forget, you know, health and safety in a workplace is often kind of it's, it's often operational as opposed to sitting at a strategic level. So it's really difficult. I think that a lot of our colleagues out there that are doing this work day to day are often in a really um, difficult space to try and navigate and not get in the way of work getting done. But at the same time, are having a deep understanding how work has been done so that they can reflect it and look at and say, how are we managing risk? Are we managing it in a way that is effective? or are we inadvertently putting in some constraints
1: or barriers? Uh, but is that done with or without the workers? Or is it, or is, I suppose we think, back this notion of consultation versus co-constructing. So is that is that reflection being done outside the presence of the workers and then being fed back into them?
0: And when you look at many organizations, particularly in Australia and New Zealand, but certainly talking about New Zealand, where we've got a chronic shortage of workers. So actually, you've got a fewer number of people doing you know a big chunk of work. And so everybody is time poor. And you know, I just think that. I can certainly appreciate why there are many professionals, you know, that find some of these things challenging to do in a, in a, in a really effective way, um, and that's in terms of that really good consultation, because it is challenging to get hold of workers, um, because they are out doing the work, and many of our workers are doing the work of themselves and of other roles, and so there just, there literally isn't the time.
1: Until it goes wrong.
0: And that's right. And then again, we're, we sit in a regulatory space where we are compelled to do things in a particular way. Um, and so there are, again, there's a lot of constraints. So all I'm saying is that I can appreciate why, why many practitioners find some of these things quite challenging to really embed and make sustainable. So I can appreciate why many practitioners look to use things like learning teams when they're doing incidents because it's a great way of trying to gain that context and buy-in and understanding and do that restorative piece but in terms of implementing this as a sustainable ongoing practice I think it takes a lot of maturity of organizations and many organizations just aren't at that maturity level for all sorts of reasons and one of them certainly in New Zealand at the moment is to do with the lack of 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 a workforce. You know, many organizations have severe worker shortages, so they don't have the luxury of time.
1: I think that exists in Australia as well.
0: Yeah, I think yeah. it's a worldwide phenomenon. I don't think it's yeah. particular to New Zealand, but that's my context.
2: We're definitely seeing that um, there's two things happening, it is that there is a shortage of workers and there's a casualisation of the workforce. And that has been originally driven by organizations wanting to casualize. And now they've got a group of people that actually don't want to commit necessarily and want to be casualized because it suits their their lifestyle a little bit more. And we've been having those discussions recently. So that creates a whole new issue for organizations and particularly the safety community is that you've got people coming and going. And so how do you bring them up to speed? How do you get though that information across to them so they can do their job? Um, and what we're some of the discussions we've been having, and the thing I really love about it, and I know I bang on about this quite a bit, is that I see learning teams not just as a mechanism for improving safety, but also improving work as a whole. Because you go and you learn something, and you can see some opportunities for improvement both from improving the safety outcomes for individuals and organizations, but also quite often the workers have actually found a better way of doing it because they've had to, they've had to, you know, we would have said, oh, it's workers done versus workers. Imagine they've taken a shortcut, but sometimes they've taken a shortcut. It's actually an improvement to the system. And that's what I love. If you can get that opportunity, but I take your point that you can't have people sitting in a room for an extended period of time at the moment.
0: No. So I think that what you have to do is you have to be pragmatic. And I think it's about applying the principles so that you can essentially do incidental learning teams. So getting people familiar with the concept so that actually you can dive into something relatively quickly and deeply because people have a sense of trust that you're going to use an inquiry-based model um, to understand context. So but that requires a whole lot of stepping stones to get there. And some companies, I think, go through a, a quite a formal process and they you know, start off with using um, learning teams, perhaps when they're doing incidents and then see the value of it and start to morph it into looking at everyday work, looking at, at how risk is, is being managed. But I also think that if you take that inquiry-based approach as a practitioner, actually that gives you great insight. So you can come alongside workers where work is being done in a very authentic environment and have that inquiry-based discovery around what are some of the constraints that you have in terms of how work is done. And I think that that's really powerful. So I think that there is a continuum you know, and it's about those learning term term learning team principles that you can apply in in different ways, depending on you know what is the the situation for for the for the group of people that you're working with for the organisation, and then some of those kind of external factors as well, such as we've talked about, you know, being time poor and and having a lack of human resource, um, simply because there's you know staff shortages. So I think it, it's using a principle and practice that allows you to be able to. Um, morph it depending on your situation.
1: So if we have constraint on our opportunity to learn because of time or resource, should we then be focusing on the stuff that really matters?
0: I think we should possibly be, we should be um, focusing on the stuff that really matters most of the time, um, because that helps us to identify whether or not the way that we've articulated risk is accurate and whether or not our controls are effective over time.
1: Right. So an example was I was catching up with someone yesterday in the residential building um, sector. And you know they have to complete so many uh, uh, site audits in the month. And that site audit has things around you know housekeeping and yeah you know, the usual bits and pieces. And of course they were just sharing with me that, you know, because they're short on people, all the sites are a mess. And I said, so you know, what should you be really focusing on? Because you know, if you if you're going to be time poor, should you be focusing on on the housekeeping of the site, or you should be focusing on how some of those uh, critical risks or or some of those critical steps are being done? What should do you do? Because every everyone is pushed at the moment. And I think, once again, the system is, has not been flexible. We're still capturing that same sort of data that we've been trying to rely on for quite some time.
2: Yeah, and it's adding no value to the organisation or the people. It's adding, in fact, it's adding cost um, in a time-poor, constrained uh, situation. And I think, you know, to Glennis's point and your point, Brent, that's what we're seeing across the sector. You know, we were talking with some people uh, the week before last, before you're over, Brent, and it was about, they were made to do inductions, right? And these inductions, you know, they got 15 people and it was a standardized induction, which was actually uh, deemed by the state government that it had to be completed. It was a couple of hours long. It was all online and video format. How is it adding any value to safety to anything? And it was really about, it looked like a um, party, party political ad when you watched the first 10 minutes of it about how great the government was and how much infrastructure work they're doing. And, you know, you think of those two hours times 10 people, right? So that's 20 hours, that's $2,000 that company was expending and lost labor cost. And you have that conversation, you put that dollar sign into it, It's just pure waste. And we haven't got the time to waste 20 hours on these sites or any, any organization. And There'll, you're, be you're
1: some put... KPI. There'll be some KPI
2: somewhere. No, no, everybody's done the induction. Oh, they're much safer. we yeah, all done the induction. Yep, they're not safer. You imagine the first 10 minutes is virtually a political ad. You reckon you've got them for the next two hours? I think you've lost them already. <laughs>
0: mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I agree. We need to be much more expedient with what we're doing. And also, from a practitioner's point of view, we've got to be much more strategic. So we've got to be looking to say, are oh, the things that we are doing, do they amount to something? So what's the sum of all of them rather than the individual pieces? And I think for a long time, we thought in quite fragmented terms. So, you know, often we did, you know, like you said, a a two-hour induction that ticked off one box, and then we would come back and revisit it by something else, and that would get another tick. Actually, it's looking at what are we asking of people, what's fair and what's valid, and what gives us a yield,
2: Yeah. and, and And, and and
0: what are the unintended consequences if we are trying to achieve one thing, you know, what's the things that we haven't necessarily considered and what flow on effect do they have downstream um, or even what trickle up effect do they have upstream?
1: And, and I've also seen this scarier trend, Linus, that at the moment we are hiring people if they have a pulse.
0: That's because there's not that many people around. Yeah. Um, but our system
1: yeah. wasn't designed for that. Our system was designed for people with, you know, certain levels of competency or understanding. Um, they were jamming the same sort of training at them as, as well. And I, I sit back and I look at it and I think, you know, those people that have that have come on board, most of their learning is going to come from what they hear from within that work group.
2: Yeah, totally agree. And,
1: and we and we all know that, that when you join an organisation, that work group will say, you know don't don't care what the organisation told you this is how we really do our work
2: and i and i think that's super important and and it comes back to that story i was telling you about the induction is that there were people there that were from another country english was a second language they sat through 2 hours of somebody talking english at them and they were labourers and they needed to have they had to sign they had to do a little Um, quiz thing at the end and they had to be helped through it because it was designed for people that were English as their first language and we, we don't take that into account and you know these are the people that we're getting onto our sites and getting into our organizations and it has to be much more encompassing than what we've been doing in the past.
0: And you think about it Brent you know what we're saying with learning teams is that learning teams ultimately is a human function so it's a human to human interaction and yet so much of our practices is really almost anti-human, if you ask me, you know, to put a bunch of people into a room for two hours to get them to watch a video about being inducted into a workplace is not a human function. That's a no. compliance function. So I think that if you're going to, to be, if you're going to be an, an advocate of learning teams and its principles, actually you do need to apply that across practice. So actually, you know, that induction piece is a human to human activity. Um, there are so many things, you know, the engagement that you have with teams again is about co-construction. It's about giving people an opportunity to e- express, you know, thoughts, opinions, to reflect on what they're doing within some parameters you know giving people the opportunity to engage with things around health and safety there has to be a continuum of those sort of opportunities where we are effectively doing a human to human interaction as opposed to a lot of stuff that really is just clutter and gets in the way so we have to be smarter about these things and look to make sure the things that we are doing in that health and safety space actually amount to something So rather than just look at them individually and say, yeah, we've nailed it here, we've nailed it there. Actually, we we need to look right across the spectrum and say, how is work really being done? You know, are we providing the right support for our workers to aid good good decision making and setting them up for, for success? Or actually, are we inadvertently because of noise and clutter and excess paperwork and clumsiness of paperwork or clumsiness of systems, actually putting barriers in place for people?
2: And I think we have this propensity to want to collect data because it makes us feel safe. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: and there's still a lot of people out there that want to collect, you know, lag data that really gives us no knowledge and information and insight at all. Um, But having just recently um, challenged, you know, people about what sorts of things perhaps should we collect and how does it give us insight, you know, a lot of people are wedded to, you know, notions that if you collect this, it tells you that, you know, and so again, and there's opportunities for conversations to be had about what are we really trying to yield and what and what do our efforts give us in return.
1: But that, that number, I think the issue I will have, Linus, is that data doesn't allow us to evaluate its context. It's just expressing something. So it might Isn't express that, that, that rates are up, rates are down.
2: Yeah, hmm.
1: I, How am I supposed to evaluate that? I, I don't understand. It's just simply, it's, it's telling me something.
2: Well, but it, it, And then it gets formed into these indexes that supposedly say that the organisation is doing really well with safety. And I would say that in many circumstances, it's actually uh, giving you a false hope of what's really going on. And, I, you know, the example I like is the one we spoke to recently, Brent, where the management team and supervisors had to do a, a safety observation, two of them a month. That was their, one of their KPIs. Go out and speak to your workers. Walk out into the floor where you're not normally walking out onto the floor or to the site and um, do a safety observation. And I was talking to the frontline team and we are having a discussion about it and i said so what do you think of that they go we know when they're coming because it's always the last week of the month i said so you're saying that they only come out the last week of the month so we went back inside they got the safety um manager can you print out from your system when the safety observations are done because they're all done by phone so it logs them at the right time and everything they're all done in the last four days of the uh the calendar month because that's the KPI. And what we found out later is he sends out on the Monday before, he sends out a note making sure that, hey, um, 80% of you haven't done your safety obs for the end uh, end of the month. Because he wants to make sure he hits his 100%. So he's got a green bar saying all safety observations are collected. So I asked him, what do you think the value of them is? And he goes, oh, I don't know. Well, if you don't know, why do it? Stop doing them. I don't think you're getting anything out of them. You know, and I think that's why, we're, and, you know, without going and talking to people at the front line, you're never going to understand that. And they see it. They, they get it. You know, we, it just it, it belies logic to think that, you know, all these people pouring out to the, into the site in the last week of the month, you know, and they were talking about, uh, and, uh, you know, doing learning teams, but they were worried that um, they'd spoken to people and they were taking too long. They came to that story about you know, oh, it took us a day. Well, I think if it's taking you a day, you're not doing it right. You need to reassess that.
1: It's not a learning
2: team. No, it's not a learning yeah. team. It's a and, long discussion. Yeah, and
1: it goes back to that what we're saying that people um, aren't the fact that we want to run the learning team about. It's just, it's just not, not happening for them.
2: No, not
1: at all. So, looking uh, ahead, guys, um, I just had a quick look. We have, uh, in the two years, we have published 130 uh, episodes. Woohoo! Yeah. 130 or something or others have, yes. have been published so far. And I think JR said get past 10, you're doing well. There you go. So I, th- I think we've definitely got there. And you know, some people they've dropped off their podcasts over time. They're trying to be consistent, um, and uh, I, I haven't shared this with honest, but we we sort of unofficially launched a new a new podcast a couple of weeks ago called the New View Safety Snapshot, which we haven't publicised yet, but it's currently getting 500 downloads a week.
0: Fantastic! And what's the content for that?
1: It's just a five-minute ditty about the new view. It's all five, five minutes of some random conversation about the new view. Goodness me. Yeah. How random can it get? I um,
0: don't know about you guys, but actually I like podcasts that are kind of short and sweet. You
1: well, know, that's um, great, because if, if we cut all your probably it's probably a about five minutes. And-
0: I would have thought some Um, of my sentences would go beyond the five-minute mark. (laughs) Um, But if you can find some without expletives, then you knock yourself out, especially if I say something mildly intelligent.
1: They're all in the bloopers realm. It's coming out by Christmas 2022.
0: You see, what it shows is that I actually spend a fair amount of time with workers.
2: (laughs) Yes, it does.
0: (laughs) I spend a fair amount of time with workers, and I have to, to say a fair amount of working stories. So I often have quite colourful language and colourful stories to tell not just unlike add, my dresses
2: it actually just adds context it does it's like a full stop actually we we're speaking to somebody last week that used a particular word as a full stop didn't he we won't mention any names no, uh, for but it worked I understood when oh, the end of the mean. sentence was not a problem
1: exactly there you go taking so, grammar um, to a whole new level yes so rep- wrapping up What's the future looking
2: like? There was a big blank then. Um, oh, I think uh, the future you're is. Over two years. Yep.
1: Where we're at now, is that where we thought things would be at?
2: No. I'm, I'm really, I'm super excited about where it's uh, moving to. I think I'm really excited when I get to talk to people about facilitation. Um, I think the A3 storyboard is such a great way of um, communicating and telling the story of a particular event, whether it's a learning event, a negative event, or any type of event. I think that's a great way to get it across the organization and different work groups. Um, I think the launch of 4Ds, which is coming up um, in the very near future uh, is just another way of getting real-time information from the front line. And I think that's going to be super exciting. And then the trials that have been running and the work that you've done there, Brent, has been really amazing. And that sort of excites me about where it's taking it. And it's real and live and being driven um, from the front line. So I think that's exciting. And then the opportunity to use that to get a deeper understanding is where I think learning teams are going to really play their part.
0: And if I was to follow on from that, um, Brent, what I would say is that the learning team journey for me personally has made me a better practitioner. It's made me understand the value of context. It's honed my skills of being able to come alongside people and have um, good, meaningful conversations about what AIDS practice what detracts from practice. It's really challenged my notions around what is um, organizational learning and how to support organizational learning, and really about that value of being able to um, sit in that space uh, between the needs of the organization um, in terms of risk management and the needs of our workforce in terms of being able to help to to support them around safe, sustainable practice. And that comes back to following those principles around our learning teams.
1: I think two, two things for me. Uh, one is the fact that I can now go into any situation and not have that fear of not knowing. In other words, I no longer think of my expert mode as a person as the reason that I'm present. I'm simply there to. Uh, help the people who face the risk to share their stories about everyday work. And I think by wearing that lens and running a learning team, those stories just flow naturally. So I think from my point of view, it's been quite a a big shift. And and I'm really excited about the fact that uh, learning teams really encompasses this true notion of, you know, worker engagement, worker participation, but more importantly, worker representation. Because so often they have simply been the output of something rather than being involved in that co-creation or co-constructing of it. And I think, you know, if if I think about hopefully the the year going forward, as organisations move more on how to make learning teams a sustainable practice that will get them to use the power of workers and get the workers themselves to really lead that component so the organization can support them
0: thank you listeners for being part of this podcast We would love to hear your learnings or other topics you would like us to explore about learning teams. Go to www.podcastlearnings.com and give us your feedback. Become part of the community of practice with learning teams. Go to www.learningteamscommunity.com. Support the authors of the practice of learning teams Purchase the book from Amazon.com or go to www.learningteamsbook.com for an inside look and other free book resources from the authors.